welcome to As Spiders Do, the University of Richmond podcast where we share stories about our amazing alumni. I'm your host, Maggie Johnson, from the class of 2018. And today, I'm passing the mic over to a special guest host, my colleague Alicia. Hello, and a big, warm, listen welcome to Spiders Everywhere, and welcome to the show. My name's Alicia Mosley, and I am the Assistant Director for Alumni Belonging. And on this week's episode, I have the privilege of being joined by Tamisha Williams, Class of 2006, of Tamisha Williams Consulting, who is also the current chair of the Black Alumni Network. And today, we get to talk about what it means to chart your own course, following joy in life and in your work, and why developing educators who are diversity, equity, and inclusion belonging-minded can change the world. Hi everyone, my name is Tanisha Williams. For those who were at Richmond during my time, you might also know me as Binky. That was my nickname back then. I am from Richmond and now residing back in Richmond, working for my own consulting company. So what about Richmond attracted you? Even though I'm from Richmond, I actually did not know about the University of Richmond until another student from my high school attended. Then I was like, oh, University of Richmond. And part of that is because where I was going throughout the city, you're not seeing the university like you see a VCU or like you pass Virginia Union. And so until that friend was accepted, I really didn't know. I actually had came to a couple of intramural games and I came to a couple of events that Richmond did. After seeing that my friend was having a good experience, I ended up applying for the Bonner Scholars Program for what was back then the Sigma Scholarship, which eventually evolved to the Oliver Hill Scholars Program and made it to Richmond. But it was really like a junior, senior year awareness of the University of Richmond because it just was not on my radar until another classmate attended. I attended Richmond Community High School, which is a small magnet public school program. And so all of the other state schools were on our radar. And I'm really glad that I had the opportunity to learn about Richmond in that way. When you first came to Richmond, what was your aha moment where you're like, this is the right place to be? I appreciated coming and just seeing some of the student interaction and engagement. Because I didn't know about it, there was this like, what is this place, you know, aspect to it. And so being able to come and see a lot of the student engagement. And at that time, my schooling from K through 12 was in Richmond City Public Schools, which for me was primarily a Black experience. And so it was for me a wondering of what it would be like to be at a primarily white institution. And so coming to the intramural games and seeing some of the other Black students on campus and how they were engaging and seeing that there was some community there and that folks were happy, like that was important to me. I also, the, the setting, you know, I think that Richmond has an incredible setting and resources that I did not have access to in my schooling, K through 12. So that was also very attractive. And the level of support. I felt supported throughout the application process, whether it was the folks in the admission office helping me with the application or financial aid, to the interview process for my scholarship and the Bonners. There was just that sense of, oh, they don't want me to fail. They're not looking for me to be like, let's weed people out. 
they were actually like, how can we make sure that you're set up for success during this process? And so when it came then to me deciding on colleges, I will say that one of the biggest pieces was financially, it was the best package but I also was actually excited about it because I'd spent the most time engaging with Richmond's community versus some of the other schools I had applied to. So that ability to have that level of personal engagement, it assisted in the yes. And you went on to get a master's. I did. So I went on to get a master's actually at William & Mary, and I got my master's in education and family and marriage counseling. And so to be honest, I still did not know exactly what I wanted to do. I didn't know what that position was. But what I was clear about is, okay, I know the communities I want to work with. I know the type of work I want to do. I just had faith that like by following that passion, something was going to come together. And I was very honest in my graduate school you know, application. I said, I do not want to be a full-time family and marriage counselor. I want the skills. I want the background so that I can work with communities. So my education teachers, they knew that as well, that I'm going to go through this program. I'm going to student teach. I'll get my teaching certificate, but I don't want to be a full-time teacher. I want the education background to really understand what's happening in the classroom. And I want to utilize it outside of the classroom in some way. And so it sounds to me like joy has always been a really important leader for you in making the choices that you make. So how did that translate for you into the education consulting space? And what were you doing when you were like, wait a minute, this is what I need to be doing? Yeah, joy is important to me. I mean, just to me, it's a major part of health and wellness. That sense of motivation, it's not necessarily that I'm like, hey, every day I want to get up and work. (laughs) But in the work that I do, I want to enjoy the folks I'm working with. I want to have passion about the things I'm doing. And so joy has been really critical for me. And it's something I talk with my clients about as well. And also just, again, the sense of play. The work I do is really serious, but we should also... We should have moments where we are excited, where we're celebrating successes, where we're, you know, also having humor and expressing ourselves in joyous ways. So that is absolutely a theme in my life. How that translated to me getting into education consulting is I, so I was working in the education system. So I actually worked at University of Richmond after grad school and their admission office for three years. I served as an admission counselor. I worked with like on-campus programming, which absolutely was joyous to plan, you know, those days when admitted students come on campus and explore. And I specifically worked with the programs for African-American and Latina students who were admitted. And so again, creating some spaces for joy for those students that I know helped me to say yes to Richmond. The challenge was that college counseling was not something I had done a lot of research on. It was Mm. an amazing field. It did not fit my lifestyle. (laughs) It's a lot. It is in terms of the travel And also the amount of applications, the amount of engagement, the emails. And I found myself getting burnt out. And so I loved what I did with my programming. I loved what I did in terms of mentoring students once they were on campus and working with them. I worked with the Bridge to Success program as well for several years. If I could have done that and never read an application or travel, (laughs) it would have been excellent. And that job did not exist. So I needed to find something again, like it wasn't giving me joy. I needed to find something that that felt better. I actually ended up moving to New Mexico, my girlfriend at the time, now wife, going to her PhD program there. And I was like, okay, New Mexico and was looking for jobs. And that's when I learned about the National Association of Independent Schools. 
So there were these schools out there that run independently. So I didn't have to have my teaching license, but I could still work in their schools. And a position came up for 50% assistant director of college counseling, 50% director of diversity initiatives. And it really fit what I was doing at the time because I was working so specifically with students who were coming from underserved or underrepresented backgrounds coming into Richmond. And I was a college admission counselor. And that was my first job into uh, a school that wasn't a classroom position and that allowed me to work with young people outside of the classroom and utilize my counseling skills as well. I did that position at that school, moved to San Francisco, did that position at another school and also in Northern Virginia. And again, loved it. And it was wildly unsustainable. For each of those positions, I was the first person to hold it. It was new to the school. It was an inaugural position and I would grow it every year. You were already (laughs) practicing consulting before you were a consultant. Yes, right. Exactly. Starting something from scratch. And so I loved it. But again, in terms of being a resource to students, adults, faculty, staff, administrators, board members, parents, one person, often, or a 50% position, it just wasn't sustainable. So I loved my job. I was losing joy because my life outside of work was me showing up depleted or not being able to show up at all. And family and friends, my like my network is so critical and important to me. After my maybe eighth year in that field, I started saying like, I think I have to move away from independent schools. It was really challenging to maintain a position I love, but to not have time to do it and also live, like to feel like I was living, like being a human being. And that's when I started creating the foundation for my consulting company. And it was burbed in the summer of 2021. (laughs) I was already doing some consulting work, if you will, on the side, like leading presentations, workshops at conferences and things of that nature. But to actually be like, this is what's going to sustain me. That's when it started summer of 2021. And it brings me a lot of joy. I'm learning a lot. So a little stress here and there. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. Par for the course. Yes. The sustainability of life. That's the piece. Like that's the piece that I just didn't have in those other positions. I love hearing that joy and honoring your own needs is a big part of your narrative. And is there a point where that became a part of you? Or is that something that you've always felt was your compass where you're like, Mm -hmm. I have to go where I feel like my needs are being honored. and I have Mm -hmm. to go where I feel like there's joy and purpose for me. Definitely an evolution, I would say. It's a little bit of both, right? I think there's always been a part of me that follows the joy and passion. So that's been something that I followed. But in terms of then that narrative of like meeting my needs, right? Like what's healthiest for me? What boundaries do I need to set? That's been the evolution. And it's been a most critical one because it's also what I work with my clients in doing, right? It's like, especially with educators, thinking about the ways that that field has become so all-encompassing how to really help them nurture, like, what are my needs? How do I set boundaries while still serving those that I love? So that piece for me, I would say the thread, hmm. you know, each stage was like after high school, I found myself coming into college a little bit more like, okay, I'm going to do a little bit more for me and not just be the yes person or not just be the friend that people call. And then that needed to evolve again as I got out of college because I, I got into right my old habits. And I would say probably in my late 20s, It wouldn't really solidify for me like you are living for other people first. And it wasn't that wasn't bringing me joy because in many ways I was allowing myself to be taken advantage of. And while people weren't being evil, I mean, absolutely. They were like, okay, if I have an opportunity to, you know, get anything I want, then there's that. So for me, it was it was really stepping back and reflecting and recognizing that, yeah, I wasn't experiencing all the joy I wanted in life. I wasn't having healthy relationships. 
I wasn't communicating my needs. And so stuff had to shift. So yeah, going through the programs I did was powerful, but it really, it solidified more on a personal level. So I'm grateful and it's work I do every day. So even this year, one of my best business investments was getting myself business coaching and somatic coaching for myself to really work on setting boundaries, accountability of things of that nature. That's amazing. I've, I've always heard never trust a coach who doesn't have a coach. So that's <laughs> wonderful to hear that that's an important value for you. You're like, listen, I'm investing in myself. This is important. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so for me, what I'm hearing is that the journey inside out has always been really important for you. You're like, listen, I have to work on myself. I have to be the best version of myself, have healthy boundaries and healthy goals that reflect my values. And so what is that like for you communicating that to your clients? And what's the importance of that inside out journey for them when it comes to creating educational environments that are diverse and inclusive and equitable? The models I use a lot with my business is start from within, just like that constant reminder, right? Because most people contact me to say, can you do a workshop about this? And in my head, I'm like, sure, I can give you 10 steps. But at the end of the day, are the people in your job, in your organization, in your team, pausing to say, how does this sit with me, right? How am I feeling? How am I coming into this space? And not just, I'm going to treat everybody the same. Yeah, that is so critically important for me. How that translates to working with my clients is I tell them that from point one, like the work that we're doing is not just going to be you looking at other people and here, how do I work with this troubled child? It's actually, how do I work with, with who I am? How is the way that I'm showing up either in my own identity or again, in my emotions, my well-being, impacting my relationship with my teammates, my colleagues, the young people? And if I'm aware of that, then I can also be aware of possibly how they're showing up and how their own identity, health, well-being, all of those pieces may be interacting and engaging. That's a really different conversation than just labeling somebody as troubles, you know, hard to work with and thinking that we're perfect on this end. And so I often start with a core values assessment. I have all of my clients really consider like, what are your core values? How is that showing up in your life? In what ways is it misaligned? You know, where is that misalignment? But we do a lot of self-work first before we then go into And now how does that translate into your classroom, your policies, your practices, your procedures? And so when it comes to then creating inclusive, diverse environments, you know, equitable environments, to me, it means I have to presume that there's diversity. I'm also honoring like who I am in that diversity and honoring who those young people are. I'm responding to and recognizing and addressing biases or barriers to success in my space, which means I have to be honest (laughs) about the fact that there are systemic barriers happening right? There is systemic oppression that, yeah, young people and even my colleagues are going to be bringing into the school and classroom. And I've got to address that. And then at the end of the day, I've got to redistribute resources, which may mean my time. It may mean like actual resources, like physical, tangible to ensure that, again, the folks who are most vulnerable to neglect in our system are getting the resources they need. So we're centering them in the work we're doing. Yes, that's so true. And I just want to know what that moment was like for you when you were like, educators need to understand this. This is where we have to start is with people who are teaching people who are imparting knowledge to people having this set of values first and it has because they're trusting those people as an authority to communicate and to distribute knowledge to them. I mean, I think it was twofold. One was, again, doing some of the reflective work I was doing 
while working at Richmond and doing some recruiting, right? So going through Richmond Public Schools and then landing on Richmond's campus and then recruiting for Richmond was eye-opening. The first time I landed on my first K through 12 boarding school in Connecticut, I just remember sitting in that parking lot in my rental car, looking around at this expansive, beautiful green campus and saying to myself like, wow, so some of these students from the age of five all the way to 18 have had resources and an education I didn't know existed until I was in college. Me coming to talk to them about what Richmond's offers is very different than when I was coming to talk to a college admission counselor about Richmond. It's a different level of expectation, of privilege that they're not aware of. This is their life. This is So is that moment, again, I'm needing to check myself, check my like awareness, to check my own biases I had about entitlement, right, and privilege of those young people. But also then I immediately then go look and I'm like working with a whole new subset of students somewhere else. And I'm like, what do they not have access to? What questions do they, do they not even know how to ask? Because they don't have a counselor working with them one-on-one. They've got a counselor working with a hundred young people. So that was one is just already is noticing systems and noticing the experience that can have on impact. Then as I shifted to mentoring young people coming into Richmond, and starting to work with them and giving them tips on like, wait, have you done this? Are you going here? Again, recognizing the gap between the readiness, but also how to access resources, how to utilize them. And again, who's doing that work and recognizing that we don't always have positions that are set up to help our young people do that. And then when I got into the DEI space and I'm really starting to look at systems, not just the ones at the school, but also outside of it. And that's when I started to recognize that I can't be the only one looking at things in this way. I really need all of my colleagues around me to be doing the internal work, to be doing the assessments, the looking at systems. So it's, it's really a coming together of all the different fields. The counseling program I did absolutely also had me thinking systems because with family and marriage counseling, it's not about Bobby's bad, so we're going to put him in counseling and we're all stepping away. No, bring the whole family in. Let's talk about what's happening with Bobby. And what we recognize is how everyone in the system is contributing in some way to Bobby's behavior slash there's actually more than just Bobby's behavior we should be looking at. So yeah, I would say that all of my education, life experience and career experience really led me to having this mindset, the systems mindset that has worked well with me saying, start from within, we are part of the system. So we have to start from within and then work our way out. And my colleagues, as a part of that, I'm talking to them about start from within, like know yourself, your identity, but also wellness, like assess your wellness, assess your well-being. Because when we think we just put a smile on our face and show up and nobody can tell the difference, we're fooling ourselves. And our young people are absolutely impacted by some of the ways in which we're showing up, some of the biases we're bringing that have been unchecked. And that absolutely then impacts their ability to learn in our spaces. That's such a rich perspective. And what I love about what you do is that the way that you highlight diversity, equity, and inclusion in education is that it's everyone's responsibility. It has to be on the community. We Mm -hmm. all have to come together and make sure that we're partnering with one another to create an environment that is healthy, an environment that is working towards safety, an environment where we're listening to one another. And so I love that about what you do. That's so important and transformational. And there's so much to acknowledging where you are and asking yourself the question, am I actually okay? Or am I just in the space where I'm getting through each day? Mm -hmm. And, And I love that about the tools that you offer too, through your workshops. Thank you. Thank you. It's been, no, it's been a pleasure again, just to have clients who come and say, I want to work on this. Like, 
I know that I have some some unchecked bias around this, right? Or I have these students in my classroom and I'm the relationship isn't where it needs to be. And to have people show up vulnerably and say, like, this is what I want to work on and to be able to coach them on that is an absolute privilege because I know that that's translating into the classroom and impacting young people. And it's a beautiful ripple effect. Like, that's the piece of it. But there's got to be, a, a, again, a, a container that can hold that the level of vulnerability for them because that's not something that we're practiced at in our society is being vulnerable about biases. We want to try to say like, I've eliminated them all. And I'm like, nope. (laughs) The first thing I say in my sessions is like, it's literally how our brains are wired. They're there, right? And so part of it is just being able to, when we notice it, recognize and say, oh, where is that coming from? Yes. And what's the name of your business? So it's my name, Tamisha Williams Consulting. (laughs) Kept it simple. (laughs) Tamisha Williams Consulting. And we've been, again, doing consulting and workshops since 2021 and actually going to be doing a pivot coming into 2024, which I'm really excited about. Are you able to discuss what that pivot looks like or are we not ready? I am. I can. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Yay. Exclusive content. Yes. Yes. (laughs) So the, the pivot is partly, again, with me as a one-person business owner and thinking about wellness and sustainability, I am welcoming a new child into the home. <laughs> Yay, congratulations. Thank you. And so because of that, I have to think about ways to make the work that I do more sustainable. And so right now, doing the one-on-one coaching with over 20 clients is going to be a challenge. In the fall of 2024, I'm going to actually be launching group coaching. So I'm going to have cohorts of leaders. I'm specifically going to be working with women and non-binary leaders, really centering people of color, especially. And we're going to have three different cohorts that will meet for an entire year, once a month. So that you really get the coaching experience, but you also build a network. So the first things they're going to do, like, who are we? What do we, where do we want to aspire to? And what does that look like doing it in community? What does that look like having that level of accountability and self-awareness? And I love that I'm going to be working with leaders because again, we're setting the tone, right? If I'm showing up to a team meeting and I'm doing so in a way that's so self-unaware, Yes, yes, yes. It's going to impact, right? My team, the organization, the young people. So the shift is that it will include, of course, educators, but I'm actually excited because I'm going to be bringing people from all different sectors. I want folks to really be building community, again, a diverse community and in, in so many ways. That's amazing. And I love hearing you talk about values and how you're like, we have to identify what your core values are because you have to be able to ask yourself, are these values showing up in my work? Are they showing up in my life? Are they showing up in my choices? And if not, what do I need to be doing differently? Or should I reassess my values and see what they truly are? Absolutely. And it's the thing that got me out of each stage of stuckness that I've had throughout my life and also career. And so I, again, I know that it's the thing that can absolutely change and shift and transform us if we really hone in it. So I'm, I'm excited to share that with other people and to watch that transformation happen throughout the year. Another theme that I've noticed and what we've been talking about is that importance of connection and that importance of networking. And so for you, something that you all do may or may not know about Tamisha is that Tamisha is the chair of the board for the Black Alumni Network at the University of Richmond. And so where does that come into play for you with this drive for connection and networking and seeing people come together and build networks and make connections that feel genuine to who they are? When I first joined the Black Alumni Network, it was just about reconnecting with 
other alumni around you know, that graduated with me, but also people that didn't, right? <laughs> like just getting to know. And it was a great way to reconnect with the university in a way that felt authentic and not like, okay, I'm in a sea of other graduates. Here we are at reunion weekend. Like feeling unattached in some ways, if you will. The Black Alumni Network has gone through different phases, right? As volunteers have tried to keep it going. And so shouts to Ed Gates and Rashida for like the work that they did over the past 10 years to really keep this organization going. And what we recognize is it's a powerful place for us. And so how do we make it sustainable? So it's been exciting as the chair for the past year to really continue to keep the Black Alumni Network going. And at the same time, really work at and bringing in newer graduates, older graduates. During one of our calls this year, we had someone from the class of 70-something from the law school attend our virtual meeting all the way to somebody who graduated, I think, in like the 2020s. So that's incredible. What I recognize is network, community, like village, like all of that is so critical to our success and wellness. And it's not just about oh, look, the Black Alumni Network is getting together to network about jobs, right? That's not it. Part of it is just, how are you? It's a joy to see you. And to recognize that during my time at Richmond, and I can't speak to young people's time now, I knew that the time to see people that looked like me was in D Hall. When I went to my classes, I rarely saw another face that looked like me. And it was, again, jarring considering the education background I had come from. And so I knew that like breakfast, lunch, and dinner in D Hall, we'd have our table, we see each other, we can check in and also just build relationships and joy. And so the Black Alumni Network for me has just been that space as well. I'm going to come to events that Richmond does, but there's also these moments I can come and really be like, hello, you know, like, mm-hmm. and feel seen in a way that I don't always feel seen on the campus, even though there's been, again, really great progress made since I had attended University of Richmond back in 2002 through through. 2006. So one of the things that we really work to do with the Black Alumni Network is to create spaces that are, again, joyous, chill, building relationships across generations, celebrating the work that we're doing, and also making it so that if someone has a need, is there a way for us to also meet that need or find resources within? Community is so important. It's so integral. And it can make or break someone's experience. And, you know, I think it's easy to say, just go in and focus on your education. But our well-being impacts how we're able to learn and how we're able to thrive. So having a space that allows people to continue that, I'm excited to be a part of. Yeah. And there have been some really cool opportunities that the Black Alumni Network has had this year. And to see that those opportunities are only coming up more and more frequently. It's been an incredible year for sure. And with and I will also say with your help, thank you so much. You have oh. really helped this year blossom into what it is. It is truly my pleasure, really and truly, I, because I get to hear stories. I get to be a part of hearing wonderful stories like yours. And I love hearing how passionate you are about what you do. Right. It really comes across that this is important for you. Like you are truly operating in your purpose. And I love hearing that people make that connection with what is important not just to them, but what they feel like is important to the world and they can contribute. And so that's a really cool journey to be able to listen to. And so how did you get started with Urban? You know, I'm like, I don't know how I got started. Probably just again, another, <laughs> other, other alum who were like, Urban's doing this thing. So what we, the the kind of 
cadence that we used to have was homecoming weekend, there'd be like a game night Friday on campus that included undergrads and alum. And so that game night was kind of my way into learning about urban and then being a part of it, I guess, once I graduated. I typically join organizations and become the secretary. So I think at that time, I probably was secretary for urban for several years because, yeah, I want to help put this together. I want to help bring people out. I was well connected at Richmond, involved in like African dance. And, you know, I did cheer for one year. I was in Bonner. Like I was in a number of organizations where I could say, hey, y'all, this is happening. Let's go out to it. That's awesome. And I wanted to keep that going. So I served as secretary after graduating for a number of years. Once I moved away, it became a little bit more challenging to stay connected. And when I moved back to Richmond, one of the things I committed to was I don't want to overcommit myself, but if there is a sustainable position, I would love to be a part of it. And upon Dr. Cade's retirement, there were a a few of us that got together to really assist with some of those outgoing programs for her and the launch of that scholarship. And we stuck around and we said, hey, are we interested in like continuing to assist again, those who have been holding Urban up for all of these years solo um, or with a small team, can we assist them in saying, we'll take the mantle now, we'll help out, we'll move this forward. And so we've stayed connected and we are now the advisory committee for Urban. And that's how I kind of went from being secretary to then shifting into this chair role. And again, the thing that helped me to do it was because it was sustainable. It wasn't like, it's all on you, find all the people, try to email them, which we were doing in the past versus now, you know, people can click Urban when they sign up for their alumni profile. And we have you and the Office of Alumni Services that was assisting us the past couple of years just to say, we can send an email out to everybody. Yeah, that sustainability and having my core group, we're all working together. It's not just on one person to, to try to pull all the pieces together. And we're excited because now all of us on the advisory committee has served, this is this would be two years. And so most of them will roll off and I'll stay on as past chair. So it's exciting to then bring in another group and really see the organization continue to grow in a sustainable way. We know that people can get involved, that this is an inclusive community. We want to see more people involved in the Black Alumni Network. And it doesn't just have to be that you live in one location. Mm -hmm. So this is a great opportunity for people to come and still raise their hand and say, hey, I still want to be involved. I want to be a part of the conversation. Just in closing, I wanted to ask you if you had a piece of advice to share with a spider who is about to graduate or who, or who has recently graduated, what is some spider to spider wisdom that you would pass along? The first thing I, I mean, is just to remember that University of Richmond has resources beyond graduation. If you have not been by the career center, <laughs> like go see them, but to recognize that like they're there actually for a lifetime. So I used to go to them to read my graduate essays, you know, when I was applying to grad school to help me with my resume. But outside of the career center, I've stayed connected to a few professors or just folks in the community. And that's been incredible for me. The other I would say is to breathe. (laughs) This world is changing every day, every hour. And I think that we are, we're socialized, right, to be to know the plan, to do the plan, to execute the plan. And especially when I think about the profile of a student that comes to University of Richmond, right? It's to like be a leader in all things. And we're in an incredibly exhausting and overwhelming and overworked period um, right now. If there are ways that you can practice 
finding things that bring you joy and peace in the midst of also trying to figure out what life is going to be all about for you and what your purpose is, do that because you actually might find a blend. Mm. (laughs) You actually might find that the thing that you do to bring you joy and peace actually can become that thing that also helps to sustain you. We are human beings. We should not just be human doing. So that would be my piece of advice is just to know that like, breathe. There's so much that we can't plan for in this world that we're living in. So let's just keep doing our best. New opportunities are being created every day. As long as we are focusing on our health and wellness, our well-being, like being good community members. So hopefully, again, if you're feeling though a little lonely and on the outside of that, where's that community that can kind of wrap you up? And if, and if that needs to start with the career center, <laughs> then find it, right? But if it needs to start with an alumni network, there are many, but just know that you are not alone in this. Thanks for listening to As Spiders Do from the University of Richmond Office of Alumni Engagement. We hope you enjoyed hearing from our alumni and learned a little bit more about what it means to be a Richmond Spider. This episode was edited and produced by Charlotte Fematter, Assistant Director for Student and Young Graduate Engagement. Our episode music is by FAS Sounds from Pixabay. You can subscribe to As Spiders Do wherever you get your podcasts. Rate our show and leave us a review to let us know what you think. We're always looking for new stories to share. So let us know who else we should feature by emailing us at alumni at richmond.edu. That's all for this episode. Talk to you soon. And remember, there are spiders everywhere, and that's a really good thing. <laughs>